Curious Conversations About Sex is brought to you by Curious Creatures, who run a variety of workshops on self-development and sexuality in Australia. My name is Rog. Today, we're chatting with Jessica Drake. Jessica's big in the world of porn and sex work, which, along with her own life story, has given her some fascinating perspectives on sex and sex education. We get into all sorts of details about the difference between entertainment porn and education porn, and how a lack of proper sex education leads people to porn, which we then blame for not being educational. Jessica's authority to speak to the topic comes from about 20 years in the game, at every level, from rank amateur, then as a seasoned performer, and then as a producer. Recently, she's been doing some great work around producing educational material and other forms of outreach, and she's also one of the people that spoke out about the way she was treated by Donald Trump. We caught up when she was in Melbourne recently for Sexpo. Join us for a conversation about sex. So, Jessica, thank you. I wonder if you'd like to introduce yourself a little bit. Like, who are you? What do you do? And what are your identities? Mm. Well, my name is Jessica Drake. I'm from the US and I am a Wicked.com performer, writer, and director. I'm also a certified sex educator, creator of Guide to Wicked Sex. Um, I'm really into advocacy work and activism. And I've been here for Sexpo, and this is sort of the first day I get to sit and catch my breath and have a great conversation with you, which I've really been looking forward to. Mm, yay. Yay. Um, a bit of a change from your background. I think you were raised Jehovah's Witness. Yeah, I sure was. So I grew up Jehovah's Witness. Um, I was also raised in a small town in East Texas, um, and then I spent the majority of my like adolescence in Texas as well. So fairly repressive, right? Um, and the sex education that I received when I was growing up was very, very fear-based and very shame-based. It was like, don't have sex or you're going to get a terrible disease and die or you'll have a baby and no one will like you anymore. Um, masturbation was never a thing. Um, and during my, I'm going to say like, pre-puberty, I realized that I had things going on that I thought were weird, wrong, or bad, or really different. And so, like, I it was, I was miniature kinky, right? Like, I was, I, there was a seed planted in me somewhere. Um, wanted to sleep with my best friend. Didn't understand what those feelings were, um, but not having any type of sex education and having no ability to navigate any of this, I really had to unpack a lot of that. Um, and it sort of happened unintentionally because like I, I did sleep with my best friend pretty young. And then we went through this weird period of like, was that really wrong? Is this okay? Are we all right? Um, and then I sort of came into porn a little bit later than a lot of people do. And for me, I found porn to be very, I'm using air quotes here. Um, I found porn to be very normalizing. Um, the first time I ever watched an adult movie, it was at my boyfriend's father's house and he had movies and nobody was home. So I was all by myself and I watched um, everything really that I could get my hands on. And um, 
I just remember seeing um, people like me being in sexual situations and being really empowered. I saw um, a woman sleeping with two men. I saw like all these things that I had imagined in my head. I was like, oh, people really, people really do all of this. So as a performer, I got into the business around 25 or 26, maybe. So I had definitely already explored my sexuality and like learned a lot more about myself. And probably at some stage there stopped practicing as a witness. Oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) So (laughs) good question. Um, So for me, uh, I think that sort of came at the intersection of puberty and really being able to form my own thoughts and opinions. And I just examined what was going on. And I knew of other problems that were in the congregation. Like I knew other negative things that were going on. And I just didn't want to be a part of it at all anymore. So I think when when I left the congregation, I was probably, probably right around the same time I slept with my best friend. Um, I'll say yeah. like do it. 13 or 14, yeah. you know. Um, yeah. And so sorry, I interrupted you. You were saying from 24, 25? We got into porn. Yeah. And um, I was actually a psych major in Texas. And I was stripping my way through college. Um, and I met people that lived in L.A. They had come out to Texas to visit. And I didn't really know the extent of what they did. I just knew they were associated with the adult industry. And they were just a really great, close group of people. Later on, I would realize it's a, it was a a pretty big director and his wife, um, some people that worked for them on their crew. And um, we became great friends. And they were like, oh, you should you should do movies or magazines or something like that. I was already stripping. And I'm like, oh, no, that's not for me. Mm. <laughs> so I knew him for about a year and a half. And I went out to L.A. a few times to visit his friends. You know, I would, I would go strip in L.A. when I was there. And college was getting really hard. And all of a sudden, I was getting all of these opportunities. So I started shooting for magazines. I did HBO Cinemax, Showtime, um, all the Bikini Girl, softcore stuff. And one day, they took me on the set of an adult movie. It was nothing like I imagined. I fell in love with it. I'm a voyeur also. Mm -hmm. Like, I just really like to watch people having sex. Um, And so I told them I wanted to try to make a movie. And I did. And I loved it. And I was independent for a few years. And then in 2003, I signed a contract with Wicked Pictures or now Wicked.com. And it was really like the best thing I've done for my career because they enabled me to grow, not just as a performer, like they never just wanted somebody that did a scene, you know? So um, I became a sex educator in 2011. Uh, started doing workshops, a lot of public speaking conferences, and that pretty much carries yeah. me to where we are today. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a brief history, if you will. Yeah. yeah. So that must have been at times a slightly wild ride from a world of basically no sex and a whole lot of taboo and shame around sex mm-hmm. to that world. I love the way you describe it where my word's not yours, but suddenly sex is sort of everywhere and sex is totally normal and you can talk about all the things and it's not that loaded. Yeah. yeah. It was, uh, it was really refreshing to me to come into the business when I did because it was very different back then. It was really different. It was definitely more like a family. Um, it, was a, it was a closer knit industry. Everybody knew everybody. If there was somebody that you shouldn't be working with, they would kind of give you a heads up, you know, mm-hmm. if, if, if things became problematic. It was 
pretty much a self-policing industry, I would say, back then, because it was smaller and easier um, to control. But I found a home in it very quickly, and Nina Hartley came up with this term. Um, I was doing a panel with her a few years ago, and somebody was like, well, Nina, when do you plan on retiring? And she looked at me like, oh, this question again. Um, We hate it when people ask us that, right? Like, it just implies that we should retire. Um, And she was like, no, I'm a lifer. And when she said that, I was like, hmm, Mm. maybe that's what I am too. Mm. Not that I'm going to have sex on camera forever. Uh, Currently, I only do three, maybe four movies a year, right? Like per year. Um, But it's something I still really enjoy doing. And I'm guessing I'll be somehow associated with the adult industry Mm. forever, you know, pretty much ever. Is it a little bit the way people sometimes look at polyamory or kink interests and things like that as if it's a passing youthful phase that you'll get out of when you're ready to, you know, grow up and do something proper? I think that has a lot to do with it. I think that folks look at the adult industry sometimes and they do apply those perceived societal, like, expiration dates for things like sexuality and, like, different sex acts that, that maybe aren't, like, aren't, in the vanilla circle of things, right? They're like, oh, you'll grow out of that or you won't always want to have sex with all those people or you won't always be that way. And I'm like, well, I mean, and that may be true. Like my sexuality has always been super fluid throughout my whole entire life. Um, But I I don't think that one day I'm going to wake up, be done with the business and be vanilla. Like it's just, (laughs) it's not in me. (laughs) It's not in me at all. So, (laughs) Um, Yes, I remember a a time back in my life uh, at a certain point in time when I realised I was dedicated to the world of sex. I changed my name because I thought I'd want the out card if ever I want to go back in the other direction. And now there's just no way that that's ever going to happen. That's interesting. It's really interesting that you did that. There's a really big discussion right now around um, performers and personal privacy and stage names versus real names. And yeah, I was kind of the same way. Somebody talked me into having a stage name when I first got into the industry. They were like, no, you're going to need this because if you get out, you know, you won't want your past to follow you. I'm like, but the internet. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you can Google and, me having sex. Yeah. I'm like, you know this, right? And I, I hate the way from the outside it looks like we are being like hiding something or ashamed of what we're doing or even like a, a an admission that we, we don't think it's right. It's not that. It's just we're responding to the taboos and frankly the threats and the danger because yeah. of the way the world looks at sex. Yeah. It's a mitigation against that. It's not uh, an internal shame. Yeah, sex work is not the problem. It's the way people treat sex workers. Yeah. For sure. And the only reason that I've guarded my real name to any extent at all is because I've definitely had situations of people stalking me. So Mm, I am so sorry. Yeah, Yeah. it happens. It does. Um, People criticise porn uh, for being a negative contribution to the world, Um, Mm. you know, uh, taking us backwards, etc. Like, what are your thoughts I think that's for the most part, I think that's scapegoating. Like I think when we're pathologizing porn, it's um, it's sort of making it even more taboo, which is going to drive people to want to see it even more um, and hide it and be very like, be very secretive about their viewing, which I think we already have an issue with that. Um, when I teach, especially what I've been doing the past few days at Sexpo, and I have any type of an audience and I am talking about porn, I always say, you know, who in this room enjoys porn? And I say, you can answer the question out loud or in your head or by a show of hands. 
And I say, who watches porn? And the majority of the people in the room, at least here at Sexpo, they will raise their hands. And I said, all right, keep, keep your hands up. And now who in this room grew up with great sex education? Every hand goes down. Um, maybe I have one or two hands, uh, maybe, but that's usually a stretch. And I just talk to people about when we're so lacking in sex education or even communication about sex, like just the ability to talk about it at all. And then we run into porn when we're, I'll just say really young, because anybody with a smartphone can access porn. Parents hate it when I tell them that. They're like, not my kid. I'm like, yeah. definitely your kid. And, <laughs> and it's not even your kid. It's like uh, the kid in your friendship circle that's worked out how to get access to a screen first. At that moment, the entire circle is done. You exactly. need to get in there before then. Yes. And unfortunately, anytime yeah. I try to talk to people that are under 18, they think I'm like recruiting, like, oh, you can't talk to kids, you're a porn star. Which oh, God, is, you can't win. Which is asinine. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, so, so you were saying as soon as kids have got access to a smartphone. Yeah, so they're watching it and it's giving them some really, an incomplete view of sex and it's giving them some really unrealistic expectations. And I don't like to say like porn sex is not real because the sex I'm having on camera is very real. It's just very different and it's polished and it's a fantasy and it's the the final product. It's like watching an, an action movie or, you know, or a rom-com or something like that. Like it's completely a fantasy, but in a, in a young person's mind that isn't all the way developed, that doesn't have any way to, that they have no context when they see what they see on screen. And as a result, I've had more people coming to me with like these really unrealistic expectations. They don't see lube use in porn. They see really easy anal sex. They see no warm up. They see no foreplay. They see um, spontaneous orgasms for no apparent reason. <laughs> like the pizza guy comes in, right? And suddenly everybody's having sex and everybody's coming. Like there's all these things that are being reinforced, not not because of porn, but because we're not teaching anybody anything else and we're not talking about it. So one of the most successful things that I've seen, at least in the States lately, are peer-led porn literacy groups. And... I love it because people will actually get together, students, usually university, and sit around and talk about porn and like, it does this exist? And let's look this medical thing up and let's wow. learn about this, you know? Yeah. And I think that's awesome. I think porn can be fantastic. I love it, not just performing in it, but I watch it as well. Usually foreign stuff, so I don't know the people, <laughs> you know, like, so so they can remain a fantasy. It's so, always a little weird when a friend walks into the set and it's a friend that you, or on screen, it's a friend that you wouldn't normally have that kind of a relationship with. Yes, like, oh. exactly, you know, so I like to watch porn to have the fantasy aspect of it. Like I said, it was really beneficial to me growing up because it was, it made me feel like, there was nothing wrong with me being strong and empowered surrounding my sexuality, you know? And I think a lot of people also don't understand, even when they're they're looking at a scene that appears to be more aggressive or one of the participants in the scene looks like they're not so happy being there, it can and very often is a part of the plot. It's like mm. that, that's what they're hired for. But unless you see that or see the paperwork or hear the negotiation, you don't know that. So... I love what you're saying. Um, I want to drill down into it more in a second, but I just want to make sure I've caught your point right correctly. Um, 
it's not so much a question of is porn doing the right or wrong thing it's that in the absence of proper actual sex education well what do you think kids are going to do they're going to look to whatever seems to be sex education and from a young person's perspective uh, porn is going to look like sex education yeah. um, but at, at that age you don't necessarily know what's um, this is my words not yours you don't know what's uh, there for entertainment and what's there for education. Yeah, that's exactly, yeah. that's it's spot on. And, you know, it, and also it's like the onus does not, I mean, it shouldn't be on porn to educate. It is not our job. I didn't sign up in the beginning when I first started all this. Like I never imagined that my job would take the trajectory that it has. I didn't imagine being in sex education at first. Um, and I think those are two completely separate things. Like I still do feature porn movies as an actress. Uh-huh. And then I also do educational movies, but they're they're separate. They're different. Uh-huh. Um, so yeah. in your early stages as a performer, you didn't realize that what you were doing was also education. And also from the perspective of people looking at porn, they don't necessarily realize that what they're watching is not education. Huh. Exactly. Hmm. Can I um embarrassing personal story share? Yeah. <laughs> I love embarrassing personal story shares. <laughs> so um, yeah, to highlight your point, um, I was um, maturing, let's say that, in the 80s. And so I had available at the time sort of 70s and 80s porn, um, Playboy and Penthouse in particular. And in the absence of sex education, I assumed that what I was being shown was education. And so there's a classic shot. This is going to be a little hard to describe in an audio-only medium. But if you're spreading a vulva, um, you put a finger on either side of your large lips and spread, um, and it's great for visual purposes. Mm -hmm. And I assume that those spots must have been some wildly erotic, erogenous zones that is just like the instant cum button or something like (laughs) that. Right. And so in my late teens and early 20s, like trying out that move. Oh, that was your um, go-to move? Partners, yeah. I remember one, of the, one partner was looking at me as if to say, Raj, Raj, what are you doing? And I'm looking back going, what's wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> and so I think, look, I think that's a testament to also to the way times change, right? Because that became your go-to move because of the medium that you had to view porn back then. And then for people now that are seeing it for the first time, unfortunately, their go-to move often becomes choking or fisting or ejaculating on somebody's face. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, like, where is the in-between? Like, please spread the vulva first. (laughs) (laughs) That would be an improvement. There has to be (laughs) something in between those two things you know and so it's it's those things and it's also like um penis in anus um without a whole lot of like warm-up and also um uh i I feel like it's almost uh shorthand as uh for um in porn uh to spank yourself a couple of times on the butt as a way of saying yeah i'm into shit i'm cool i'm kinky i'm down for shit and so people think that that's the way you do spanking (laughs) (laughs) and it really is problematic when you think about it like we have we have no well we have very very little of a discussion about this and I think we need to make it a much broader discussion and we need parents to help and we need schools to help and you know I mean it that really is true though like I don't know the last time I saw a movie where someone wasn't spanking themselves you know yeah it's a really good point. <laughs> it's, it's also really linear. Like when you when you watch an adult movie, um, it's just so 
almost robotic or mechanical and it's like kissing, oral, oral, position, 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 pop shot, and then it's done. You know, and I, when I shoot my educational line, uh, which I don't perform in, I'm strictly the writer, director, narrator, all the things, it's very hard to get talent out of that loop of doing the things in that order to that Uh part of completion. Like, it's just really hard. And one of the best scenes I've ever shot was in... um, in one of the editions called Foreplay, maybe I had in the whole scene three minutes of PIV sex, so penetrative sex, three minutes in a 22-minute scene. Uh-huh. And it was the greatest ever. So uh-huh. I think that's another thing that, that porn uh-huh. does is like, you know, to, to some point it feels like, well, we're going through the motions and now we do this and now we do that and now yes. we do that. And then the guy comes and it's over. Yes. Yeah, I don't like that. <laughs> Why is it hard to get people out of that groove? Well, I think it's that when they're doing it as performers, they think, well, this is my job and this is what's required of me. So I think it is because a lot of the time I think viewers don't understand that the way we as companies often have to shoot things is because of different broadcasting requirements. So like we have a cable version for our movies and a foreign version and a softcore version and just so many different ways that we have to, especially now with all the piracy. So we have to monetize a movie in whatever way we can. So we have, it's almost like a checklist, Mm. you know, of Mm. things that we have to show. Um, And I think that performers, especially performers that are, I'll say newer, let's say like five years, five to seven years, that's just what they think they have to do. Well, so. yeah. And I guess also uh, when one moves into this sector, one has a bit of a look at what's come before and, and assumes that that's the way that things are done. Um, yeah. I, I know for myself when I got into sex work, at first I had a bit of a stereotype in my mind of what was meant to happen in a session and I sort of tried to play for that for a while. I found it, frankly, tiring and exhausting because it was me being something other than myself. But to be myself involved being awkward and clunky and daggy and humorous and going, oh, uh, not so much like that, maybe more like this for me and my body doesn't so much like that and how the fuck does your body work? Can you teach me? And it's really awkward and weird and clunky and daggy and it's not classic performance. It's authentic. It's authentic, but it's it's harder to be authentic and vulnerable. If I'm just speaking for myself, I'd love your thoughts, but yeah. The older I get, the more comfortable I am being authentic. And I think that I tried in the beginning so hard to make people happy. And then I think with each birthday, I I lose more fucks. <laughs> like, I just don't have any more fucks left to give. Um, and I think I became very comfortable with myself and less dependent on the approval of other people. Do I want people to like me? Sure, it's pleasant, that's awesome, but do I depend on it? No. Um, And so as a result, as a performer, I've actually noticed that that I'll be like, yeah, I don't ever, I don't wanna work with that person again. Like their technique sucks. Like they don't know what they're doing. They're not learning my body. This is not compatible. As opposed to, yeah, I'll take this booking. I'll work with this person again. Um, and if somebody starts starts to violate a boundary that I've set for myself, uh, for them during the scene, whatever, now it's immediate. 
that I call them on it. And before that, um, you know, I mean, I think, Mm. look, I think we all have heard some really bad stories about things that have happened in porn. And anytime like a documentary is shot, they want to sensationalize it and show you all the bad things. Definitely a mix of good and bad, right? I come from a, a big place of privilege. I'm contracted to a big studio. Like I've had it pretty good. Um, but I, even still, there have definitely been things that have happened in my career that looking back were completely inappropriate. They were violations. They were consent violations, all of that. So I, of course, hindsight 2020, but I wish I would have started earlier being so firm. And I think that the authenticity that I've grown into over the years has made that easier to do. Because if I'm being true to myself, then I'm not going to let myself be put into a position that makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. I too am awkward though. I like awkward. That's fine. Like yeah. I, I would yeah. prefer awkward over yeah. that and vulnerability, especially in the past couple of years is key for me now. Like I, I need people to understand that it's not just the polished, airbrushed, photoshopped porn performer that they may have seen, that we're people. Like, Mm. we are people. And I think that also speaks to sex worker rights, you know, the rights of adult performers and things like that. I think that we really, and we shouldn't have to do this, but we're really going out of our way to humanize ourselves so that we become more relatable to the people who have been discriminating against us. I think that once we put real people to the term sex worker or porn performer, I think that people think a little bit differently about us. So I think that's been a part of it too. Yes. I love that you mentioned rehumanizing. I've been wondering actually a little, um, the more one moves into a position of leadership in any sector, the the more public one is, um, particularly in the political landscape we're in, uh, you get one gets dehumanized a lot. I was actually like wondering like how how you ride with that. I like what you said about before about like as time goes by you give less fucks. For sure. Uh, I was listening. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, I think that I think it's just really important to well for me, speaking for me, it's always been really important for me to never get to a, a place where I'm too comfortable. I always want to learn more about myself and about this business and about the laws that are affecting us on a daily basis. But I also want to take that and use it to help other people. Um, For me, that's been key. Not only is it necessary work, but it's necessary to me. Like it is something that fuels what I love to do. And it's why I love educating, why I love teaching, why I love, you know, lobbying for, for, let's say human rights. It's human rights, to be fair. And at the same time, I think it's super helpful when fans can put us up on a pedestal and we're not real to them. And at the same time, those fans are sometimes voting in elections on issues that can potentially affect us. And I feel like if we humanize ourselves to those people, let them in a bit more. And I don't mean like so much into our like personal lives or our homes necessarily, but like just let them know us, you know, talk about the things that we're scared of, talk about the things that are important to us. Um, 
You know, I think that 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 will help us more in the long run rather than fans just thinking that we're strictly on screen for masturbatory purposes. Like we're we're people. Yes. Um, And it's a funny little bind because um, particularly um, when criticisms come in, when when people don't don't see leaders as humans, they feel more free to just like really throw in the wildly strong criticisms. And a very natural response is to dehumanise oneself, like detach from that and just go, no, I'm not going to engage or relate with that. Um, Uh, To rehumanise oneself is to somehow publicly say, hey, you're really hurting me. That stuff's really hurting and damaging. Um, And that does sometimes let people know that um, they're dealing with a human and not just an idea. But um, you can't trust all people to de-escalate with that. And, Mm. wow, it's a lot of work. It's hard. It can be really hard. And with all of the technology that we have, it seems like they can access us so easily, right? So you're always getting it from one direction. Um, Usually, I do my best to ignore people. Usually, when they're coming at me like really bad hate speech or with death threats. um, I was the uh, 11th woman to speak out against Trump before the election in 2016 and when I did that I realized that it that it came with a really high risk what I didn't realize is that the death threats would just continue over the years so I never engage with people that are that are that severe like if they're going to that level I don't engage with them and I try to report them what I find fascinating is that social media is shadow banning sex workers but People like that can get away with saying those things and keeping their accounts. So that that's like my latest thing. Um, there was an account that was attacking everyone at Sexpo. I don't want to give them the PR, so I won't say their name on this. But um, they were just doing awful things. And so a bunch of us saw it and reported them. And all of us in the group got a letter back saying it did not violate their terms of service. So, oh, it's awful. It's awful. Ah, I am so sorry that that's the price that you pay for the work you do and thank you for the work you do. Thank you. (laughs) I feel very seen. Thank you. Thank you. Hey there, listener. I'd like to make you a little proposal... I love making this podcast for free because it helps me spread the word about sex positivity. But I could use your help in spreading the word just by sharing this episode if that's not too absurd. For every 10 stories that you listen to, please recommend it to someone that might like it too. (laughs) This is not a real contract, for you got no say. I would if I could frame it some other way. And if sharing's not for you, that's fine. There's nothing to do. Please listen without guilt to this podcast I built. We were talking before about um, um, what it's like as a young person um, using porn as education and not understanding the ways that it is and isn't education. Do you have any ideas around what, someone can look for like how do you actually teach or train people the difference between porn that's there for entertainment versus porn that's there for education yeah i mean i think uh the categorizing 
of the material to begin with is super important. Um, porn for education is quite literally going to be things like educational movies, <laughs> you know, like an instructional film, and it will probably be presented as such. Um, I think when we have a really strong foundational understanding of what personal life sex looks like, then we're much more likely to be able to identify what isn't that. Um, but like very specifically, like ease of orgasming, I think that's a massive thing. If you if you don't see a lot of, of ongoing communication throughout a scene, um, and in some things you do, and I'm not saying that all, all porn that is entertainment, I'm not saying that it doesn't include any of this. Like I've definitely done scenes with a lot of communication or a lot of clitoral stimulation, or maybe it's an anal scene and you actually do see some of the warm up on camera. Um, but if you're, I think better sex education is going to help us differentiate between porn for entertainment. If everything looks too polished and too perfect, yeah, yeah. it probably is that, yeah, you know? Yeah. It probably so is. So if there's no oopsie-daisy awkward moments, it's yeah. probably polished. Yeah, yeah, probably polished. Yeah. Like if you, if, if it just looks very smooth, you know, like I was doing a scene one time and I absolutely, like my legs were collapsing out from underneath me. That's not in the movie, uh-huh. you know? I mean, yeah. we've fallen off beds before. I've had male performers, I mean, not people that were working with me, but like we break dicks, unfortunately, <laughs> sometimes. Like, like this stuff happens. It really happens. You're never going to see that though. Like you're... You're not going to see that. And this is another thing that that I think I'd, I'd love for people to understand. Um, when people watch porn, especially when they're watching pirated porn, a lot of the time what they don't understand is that so much of this, much of this porn is generated because of what people are viewing. So it's all in the algorithms, right? Based on the analytics of different scenes and how they perform and how many clicks they get or likes or shares. And what we're not really considering is that when we're doing that, a lot of the time when people are sharing porn or watching porn, now anyway, they're not necessarily watching what's getting them off. They're watching the most outrageous thing they can find for shock value. So as a result, some of those scenes have higher ratings So then as a result, companies make more of those scenes. And it's almost like at times, especially with pirated porn, we are almost pre-informing the viewer what they prefer to see. And so it's kind of a weird concept, but like, think about this. And if if you're a fan of porn, like if if you like a particular activity, try to actually seek that out. Try to find companies and performers that do it really well and they're really into it as opposed to just always going with the most viewed clip on whatever shitty tube site, you know? Yeah. So So in much the same way that the likes of Facebook have discovered that putting uh, wild and controversial stuff in front of our faces is the best way to get us to stay on the site because either we massively love it or we massively hate it, but either way it stays us engaged and energised. Likewise, on um, um, what was your word for stolen porn sites? Pirated. Pirated yeah, porn sites. Pirated porn. Uh, likewise, they're just trying to get stuff there that's likely to get our attention. Yeah. Would you also say that um, because of the nature of screens, which are generally quite small, the types of porn that comes across 
naturally better suited to the medium is like broad, large, aggressive, fast, quick styles of porn, as opposed to, so like for me, for instance, like great touch, radio listeners at home won't be able to see what I'm doing at the moment, but I'm touching the back of my hand and it's incredibly slow and soft and gentle. And I don't think there's any way you could put that on screen that would make it look interesting. I've I've never thought about that. And I think you're absolutely right. I think you're, you're so right. As screens get smaller, it makes perfect sense. It really does because when, I mean, when you think about it, when I got in, it was very much DVD driven, very much DVD driven and people would watch on their computers, but they could also watch it on their big screens. Yeah. That's a really, really interesting point. Mm. Yeah, for mm. sure. So it becomes very self-perpetuating and we think we're meant to like, like choking, yeah. anal sex, banking with no warm up. Yeah. Uh, but in actual fact, not many people do. No, yeah. <laughs> but in reality, not so much. <laughs> or like, yeah, those of us that do like it, like it with a lot of communication and et cetera first. Um, on that, for um, your idea of a perfect porn shoot, how much communication and negotiation and chats go on before anything starts rolling? So from a performer standpoint, I, especially lately, the past few years, I've only been working with people that I know and have a great rapport with. So before we do the scene, we'll definitely have a meeting that... So, so that's, sorry to drop, but that straight away is an amazing point. It's worth noting that a lot of what we watch are performers that probably don't know each other particularly well. So by default... Sometimes. Sometimes, sometimes right, okay. yeah. So some of it can't be like really related, engaged relationship sex. It's going to need to be... Something different. Sorry, go on. Yeah, and we were, I, I was actually just talking about this with somebody the other day. There are 20 to 30 guys in porn that get used all the time. So um, we do tend to, like, we do tend to end up working with the same people eventually. Like, we will keep working with those people. But beforehand, we, from a performer standpoint, we just say what we expect. Uh, I tell people my hard limits. I tell people what I like. I tell people what I love. I tell people what gets me off. And I tell people what they should never do to me. And that that might be different every time I have that talk, you know, based on my mood, the time of the month, like a number of things, right? Like my energy level, whatever, if I have anything else going on. Um, but as a director... So, so yeah. sorry to keep interrupting, but... Even just that little slice of questions and answer there. How amazing would it be if everyone had just that conversation before sex? I try to, yeah. I try when I do workshops, I try to talk to people about the fact that at the root of most dissatisfaction is a lack of communication. We come into situations sometimes expecting that because we have chemistry with someone, that they're going to know exactly how to get us off because we're so attracted to them. And one time in a hundred, that's true. Yeah, yeah, no, for sure. And I mean, don't get me wrong, it does yeah, happen. It does. But yeah, no, not the that often. The rest of the time, use your words. This yeah. is why the gods gave us the faculty for speech, people. <laughs> use your words. <laughs> use your words. Um, and from a, from a director standpoint, um, Every movie I have ever directed, I have a meeting with all of my people beforehand. That includes my camera people, my makeup artist, my lighting people, my still photographer, all of my talent in the same room because I like for people to know what to expect. So even outside the confines of a sex scene, if they're going to be there for a 12-hour, 14-hour day, I need to let them know in advance. 
I will tell them, when I book people, especially for my educational series, I tell them, this is a little bit different than what you usually shoot, and here's what we're going to do. I take your rate, I give you $100 on top of that, I feed you really good, you're going to be very comfortable. It's going to be an amazing day, but it is going to be a long day. So just know that when you come to me, and if if it's not for you, don't accept the job. Um, but I'm just very, very transparent with people because I think that, again, it just goes to expectations, right? And I get a better performance out of people because they're more comfortable and prepared and they know what to expect. I mean, I just shot Senior Sex with Joan Price and all of my folks that were involved were over 70 years old and none of them had ever had sex on camera before. So the night before and in my brain, I was probably more stressed out about that movie than any other educational movie that I have done. And it was it turned out so good. But like a lot of meeting, a lot of conversation, a lot of transparency about what we were doing. So mm, Nice. Uh, so uh, listeners, I'm just going to underline it in case you missed it. There was an incredibly good sex tip there, uh, straight from the uh, words of someone with a great deal of skill in this area. If you want to get a good uh, performance or scene out of someone, uh, make them comfortable. Let them know what's coming up. Um, lots of communication yeah. beforehand. Yeah. yeah. Treat your date night as if you're shooting a high quality porn. <laughs> I love it. I love it. It's <laughs> a good tip. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So we've been talking about some of the drawbacks and negatives of, of, about porn. Uh, what are some of the fabulouses? It's like, hot. <laughs> it's fun. Um, for me, anyway, um, growing up the way I grew up and then being in this industry, For me, I have felt at many times like I've got to live out some fantasies in a really safe, controlled environment. Um, I had a fantasy that I wanted to have sex with a lot of people in an elevator. What's only fair? I mean, right, yeah, exactly. But but here, it's not exactly feasible. So um, I was able to do that. Everybody was tested. I got to have that great meeting with everybody beforehand. Um, I'm also a big fan of orgies. And in porn, when we do orgies, they're some of my favorite things because you know that everybody's freshly tested. Most everybody communicates, like there's lube everywhere. Like it's just a great environment. I also love the acting portion of what I do. Some people are like, oh, it's just porn. I'm like, no, I take it really seriously. And Wicked, um, wicked wicked.com is really famous for, we've been around since 1993. Um, not me, but them. Um, and they're really famous for bigger budgets, higher like location value and like really amazing productions. So I've done movies that are like massive budgets with acting and stunt work. I've written motorcycles in movies. I became a bounty hunter for a movie. I like, it's just very theatrical and cinematic and it's, it's a performance sometimes, and I really get into all of that. And I would think probably even over the amount of money that I've made in my career, what I really love is how it's been a literal vehicle for me to travel the world and go everywhere and meet people. And I would say that the very best thing about my job, well, signing with Wicked.com, truly, because about eight or nine years ago, I think it was, they sent me to Sexpo South Africa. 
And I had never been on the continent of Africa and I had always wanted to go. And I never go anywhere without taking a few days to go and see things or relax and practice some self-care. Uh, I did a tour in South Africa with a with a tour guide who had the day off. So it was like his personal time. I hired him on his personal time. And he showed me, we went to Pretoria, we were in Joburg, um, I saw Soweto, and I saw things that I, I had never seen in my life, even though I thought I was pretty well-traveled. Um, I went back home from that trip and it was so life-changing. I spent like an extra week there after their sexpo. And to think that I stood in a booth for three or four days and took topless photos and then had the experience afterwards that really like changed me inside as a human being. Um, it's fantastic, like porn, wicked, sexpo, life-changing. And it was, it was amazing. And had I not, had I not been who I am, I wouldn't have been given that opportunity to end up there. And as a result, I've been back like six or seven times to, to South Africa and then also visited Kenya and Tanzania. I climbed Mount Kilimanjaro one year that I went back there. Like it's just opened up a different part of my life. Mm, wow. Yay. Porn saved me for oh. sure. Yeah. And what about for the world? What do you think porn's done for the world? Like, what are the benefits? So the benefits of porn, it can be amazing masturbatory material first. I think yes, like a, that. I think like <laughs> a lot of other people, I think porn can be a fantastic normalizer, especially for folks that are into particular fetishes or kink or something like that. To be able to have something that's relatable, I think is very helpful. It can be uh, something that helps people feel less isolated, especially mm. if they grew up you know, a bit repressed like me. Um, it can also be a great tool for people to use together. You can use it to introduce new things uh, if both or if, if all people are on the same page and there's yeah. something that you want to try. Yeah, you know? right. So it's like uh, um, uh, you, you've got an idea for something you want to do with a partner, but you don't have to take full responsibility for explaining and demonstrating and everything else. It's just like... <laughs> Hey, sweetie, how about we just, like, have a little look at this and see what these other people are doing? What do you think about that? Yeah, <laughs> but it, and it's a great conversation starter, too, and sometimes people laugh when I say that, but, like, you can look at something and maybe that you haven't seen before or your partner hasn't seen before, and it starts a conversation, mm. you know? And, and I'm absolutely okay with people watching corny porn to laugh at it. It can be funny, too, mm. you know? It can be arousing, also funny, also awkward, a number of things. And I think that, like, with a good, solid foundation, it, it is what you make it, you know? If you want it for entertainment, it's yes. your entertainment, you yes. know? Yeah. Um, I sometimes feel like in the same way, this is more broadly the internet, but how it's created this sort of quickening in so many things like science and culture and community. Um, I feel like it's also been a quickening in terms of, I wouldn't quite yet call it sex positivity, but in terms of opening our minds and our eyes to what's possible, uh, even just from my vantage point, like I started professionally running workshops, say maybe eight years ago. And even then I feel like kink things in particular were much more of a taboo whereas now they're so much more normal. I'm like, mm -hmm. thank you, porn. Yeah. Uh, I agree. I agree with what you're saying very much. I think that, like, but yeah, the more that people see and they, that they realize that it's out there and it is a faster spreading of either awareness or the fact that, hey, this medium just exists to show you these things, I also have noticed a real 
shift in the way that fans are looking at trans porn right now. And so I'm pansexual and I've, I've spent, I would say the first two thirds of my career portraying the sex that I thought my fan base wanted to see. So I imagined, and it's not just my imagination either. It's like, I actually know the demographic that's mostly into me. Um, and they're, they're guys of a certain age, right? So I was giving them the sex that I thought that they wanted to see. And at the same time, I was reaching a point where I was like, I really only want to have the sex on camera that I want to have. Like, yeah. that's how I want to do it from here on. So... I'm I'm fairly active within the trans community, like the trans awards in LA. I have Wicked Sensual Care sponsor them every year. Like we do a lot of networking and signal boosting and outreach. And I have a lot of friends in the community. And it got to where at an Expos summit a few years ago, I was like, I sat in on a trans panel and I was like, okay, here's the deal. I really start, I want to start using trans performers in our regular movies. And Wicked is a hetero company, you know, fairly-ish, vanilla-ish. I said, um, would would you like to be in movies with me? Everybody was like, yeah. So I went to Wicked and I was like, all right, so here's what we're going to do. And I mean, I'm, I don't think that I would have had the support and the encouragement with any other company. And so about three years ago, I shot my first trans scene. And I said, well, I mean, if, if I can do it, I might as well be an orgy because that too is my favorite thing. Um, so I worked with Venus Lux, Aubrey Kate, Domino Presley, and um, it was fantastic. I put it in my showcase movie, Jessica Drake is Wicked. And then there was some conversation within the company about, do we include that scene on the DVD? Do we put a disclaimer before that scene? Does it only live on our website? And I'm like, no, no, no. It's a part of the DVD. No disclaimer, like caution. Like you can't tell somebody how to feel about a scene before they see it. So it just went on the DVD and it was on the description on the back. You know, if somebody was like, what is in this movie? And they looked at it, they would see. Um, But I had so many my long-term fans say I never would have sought out a scene like that but here it is and some people are telling me hey I've always wanted to watch something like this but I've been too ashamed embarrassed whatever to walk into a store and go to that section Mm. so I'm so glad that you did that so as a result I've been doing them since then basically Mm. even though I don't shoot very much and my end goal is to just be using performers of all types in movies, not based on, oh, this is a trans performer, or, oh, this is a, yep. a person with a bigger body size or something like that. Yep. Because that that's what makes me a lot happier. <laughs> so, <laughs> But I think that in doing that, trans porn has become a lot bigger. And I think as a society now, a bit more accepting and definitely more open-minded to it and open to talking about it more than maybe ever would have happened when I first got into the business. So nice use of the opposition. I mean, I really like it. So yeah, <laughs> positions indeed. It was a bit selfish, <laughs> but it was just a part of that whole journey, right? It's just a part of that whole 
I'm getting older. I care less about what you think. I want to do the things that make me happy. Mm-hmm. So, and yeah. it definitely makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> okay. um, and maybe as we move towards finishing, um, what education would you like to see in the world? Like, what would your what would your ideal be of where things shift and move to? Oh, I would like to see all the education. Um, I would love to really see both schools and parents giving their children permission to really understand that they own their bodies. I think that we have to start there. Like I can talk about, yeah, I I want porn literacy education. Like I want schools to do that. And I do like that's, that would be fantastic. But none of that is, is going to be as beneficial as kids really getting a good solid foundation and not being ashamed of themselves or their bodies. And as soon as they, they understand that they own their bodies, they will be better. It's not a child's job to protect their body from somebody else, if that makes sense. Like when we're talking about assault or abuse or anything like that. But I think that, that when children understand that, that those bodies are theirs already from that young age, it will cut down those incidences. It will it will make children more likely to report assault and abuse. And I think we're in a really interesting time with the whole Me Too movement. And I think that this is a great time for parents to have more of these discussions. So that's that's my most basic hope for education. And then at another level, I would love to see these porn literacy groups continue. Peer-led porn literacy groups are where it's at. Like have mm. porn viewing parties, mm. you know, do <laughs> Mythbusters, whatever. Be like, that's right. That's not right. That's real. That's completely not real. You know, like that's, talk about it. Continue the conversation. I think continuing the conversation is, is the most helpful thing, of course, straight across the board. So, oh, and as far as more education, I would, I would love to come back and teach one day. <laughs> so that's my educational goal for Australia. <laughs> Watch this space, Australia. <laughs> I, I would love to see um, safe words in schools. Uh, I don't know what age to introduce this stuff, and it does oh. not have to be in the context of sexuality, mm-hmm. but just kids knowing that green, orange and red is always a complete stop no matter what. Um, oh, kids, that's good. kids get that stuff. Yeah. They, they really do. And I mean, especially especially at those ages before before their views are skewed by life experience. Yes. You know, like give them give them a firm foundation. Yes. I think we can certainly say that um <clears throat> no education doesn't work really well. And I guess you could speak for a religious education that uh, doesn't work really well. No. It's just begging for disaster. Well, I mean the thing about having such um especially being raised Jehovah's Witness because sex was entirely left out of all conversations and being being gay was not accepted in the religion. Like you could be disfellowshipped for being gay. You could be disfellowshipped by having sex before marriage. You could be disfellowshipped for so many things. And then as soon as I was getting to the age where I was able to sort of like look at what was going on and understand that it really wasn't right, there was a massive abuse of power going on within the organization, like like it happens in most areas like that, right? And it was just a huge thing. So, yeah. Mm. 
Wonderful. <clears throat> is there anything else you would like to say? Uh, and is there anything you would like to qualify about anything you've said? I'm asking this question to myself as well. Oftentimes when we're having these chats, we say things that are accurate in the moment, but not necessarily all of us or all of our context. So I'm just scanning back over our conversation. Is there anything we want to clarify? No, I'm pretty good. Yeah, I, I feel well represented. Yeah. All right. Thank wonderful. you for asking that question. What a great wrap-up question <laughs> of excellent communication. <laughs> <laughs> great. Thank you, Jessica. Thank you again for coming in and thank you for what you're doing in the world. It's been lovely yeah. to chat. Thank you so much. May I plug my social media? I would love that. Please do. Yes. Okay. So you can find all of my movies on Wicked.com. If you go to guidetowickedsex.com, it's a free site having to do with my educationals. And you can find me on Twitter at the Jessica Drake on Instagram. I'm Jessica Drake. Beautiful. Um, and links to all of that will be in the show notes. Awesome. Thanks for listening, folks. It's Rog again. Just wanting to mention a couple of things. Firstly, a reminder that if anyone comes to mind that might like listening to this episode, please share it with them. There's normally a way to do that from within your podcasting app, or you could just send them a message. Secondly, if you want to know more about Curious Creatures who bring you this podcast, then check out our website. We're at curiouscreatures.biz, B-I-Z, and that's also linked to in the show notes. Uh, The main thing we do is run workshops in sexuality, relationships, and self-development, and we're based in Australia. Thirdly, by far the best way to stay in touch is to get on our mailing list, which you can do via the website. We think of your email address as a part of you, so we're very careful about how we use it. And lastly, if you're after our famous consent cards, go to consentcard.com. There you can see the questions for free or buy one. Thanks for listening. It's really nice having you there.